Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for listening to the 278th ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the MSP studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and a fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing great, Cameron. Um, how are you? I'm doing well. You started off 2024 pretty good so far? Yes. Actually, I was going to bring that up. Because last week you asked me about New Year's resolutions. Really putting you on the spot about yeah, New Year's stuff. I got thinking about it and I came up with one or two even. I need to be on my phone less. Leave a like on this video if you also need to be on your phone less. I'm sure most of us could probably benefit from that. So I started right away. I uninstalled Instagram. Wow. Don't need it. Don't like it. Now it's out of my life. That's great. But that was an easy one because I already didn't like it. <laughs> I would get on Instagram, scroll for like five seconds, be like, what am I doing? And close out. Now, TikTok and Twitter, different ballgame. Discord, tougher different ballgame. Yeah, tougher battles. So it's going to be an ongoing thing. We'll see how many apps I can uninstall this calendar year. Uh, I have to be on social media a fair amount for my job. Yeah. And, but Facebook, just a little side note here, Facebook, yes. maybe, I don't know, a year or two ago introduced the greatest thing ever where your business and your personal account are now separate. Nice. Cause I used to get on Facebook for work, but I would like log in. It was like through your personal account. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'd like see all this personal like newsfeed stuff and I would just get sucked into it yeah. and I would spend too much time just looking at meaningless content on yes. Facebook. But now... I just get right on there, just right on the business account and don't have to see any other stuff and saved many hours yeah. of my life. Yeah, I'd like to prioritize. I feel like I could, you know, wean myself off of TikTok and Twitter to some extent. Well, oh, that's a tough ask. Yeah. I want to prioritize our Patreon supporters over on Discord and my real life friends on Discord. That's and the last one that's got to go. Exactly. And I'll never stop... I'll never uh, stop paying for YouTube Premium. So never, I can never quit you. Watch endless hours of YouTube videos yeah, all YouTube day long. YouTube Premium is incredible. So you can set up little timers on your phone where you can override them still, but it'll at least remind you like you're out of time. I've done that on Instagram just to give yourself parental locks. I yeah. have to like <laughs> I have to acknowledge that I've been on too long if yeah. I want to keep going. Your phone gets on to you, and you have to be like, "Yes, I understand." Yeah. <laughs> now get out of the way. Let me keep scrolling. Makes well, you at good. least think about it. Good yeah. luck with those resolutions. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, do you watch that national championship game? Yes. Some I didn't of it. watch all of it. Uh, yeah. Washington really struggled. They did. Uh, I feel like that was like out of character for them. Um, I think they're a better team than they showed. Yeah. But Michigan's good. They, I yeah, mean, obviously. I think I still would have loved to see Georgia get a shot at Michigan, but that's not how it happened. And, you know, I still think Michigan deserves to be national champion. One thing I, I think I established in my own head is Alabama messed everything up. They did. By losing to Texas yes. earlier in the 100%. season. 100%. That game dictated the entire course yes. of the college football season. Because then those two teams were attached yes. to each other the rest of the way. And that was like before Alabama figured out their their quarterback issues. Exactly. Now, SEC homers. Yeah. Now, that didn't stop Alabama. Like Alabama still had the opportunity in front of them had to play Michigan, should have won that game if it weren't for a bad snap, probably. Poor guy. But um, 
Which he already transferred to Ohio State. It, did he pick Ohio State? Yeah. Wow, incredible. Soft landing spot for him. Um, but where was I going with that? Oh, yeah. That Alabama losing to Texas basically kept Georgia out of the Final Four. Yeah. Crazy. Georgia, yeah. But all Georgia had to do was show up better in the SEC championship game. But I do, I feel like I'm on, I'm coming around to your view that the top three teams in the country are Michigan, Georgia, and Alabama. Cameron, they've, Georgia beat Florida State 63 to three. That's true. Yeah. That is true. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, we'll get to this later. We need to, we need to start the show proper. We'll talk about coaching carousel stuff a little bit later. Um, we're going to talk about Mizzou basketball. We're going to talk coaching carousel. Mizzou is now a part of it, unfortunately. Um, we're looking for a new defensive coordinator. Before we get to all of that, don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. Leave us a review wherever you listen to us. And of course, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Missouri Sports Pod. Start it out with basketball. Mizzou basketball goes 0-2 on the week, losing at home to Georgia, 75-68. And then losing 90-77 to to Kentucky at Rupp Arena. Really was hoping for a split between these two games. Georgia started out incredibly hot. Could not miss. Mizzou was down big early. I actually missed the first few minutes of this game. I tuned in just in time to see Mizzou go on a 17-2 run to get themselves back in it. They even had a lead. It was really back and forth in the second half. Missouri had a lead. Couldn't hold on to it, just didn't have enough in the tank, ended up losing. There was a, a stretch towards the end of the game, maybe with like three minutes left, where Mizzou had three empty possessions on offense in a row. That just looked so bad. Just like forced drives that weren't quality looks. And right before that, they had been stringing together multiple good possessions in a row, getting some stops when they needed them. And then it just all unraveled there in those three or four possessions. And it, it really felt like then it was going to be too little too late. You needed a miracle at that point, and they just couldn't couldn't make it happen. Yeah, it's really a pretty brutal loss to start off SEC play. Um, Cameron, I don't know if there's a metric, like a Ken Palm metric that measures like how likely a team is to like go on a run like in a good or bad way, but Missouri's got to be number one if that exists. <laughs> just like susceptibleness of going on massive streaks yeah streakiest team either direction yes Um, because they do that in every game good and bad yeah uh in the georgia game missouri's defense had no answer for their big man um russell chua he 18 and 11 five of five field goal shooting eight of nine from the free throw line the the box score for this game was kind of a weird one missouri shot twice as many twos as georgia Missouri made as many two-point field goals as Georgia attempted. But Georgia made 12 threes to Mizzou's six. And also, uh, Missouri attempted seven free throws to Georgia's 21. Yeah, we lose the free throw battle every game, literally every game. Um, our lack of interior defense, well, we're bad on the perimeter too, but just uh, the the lack of a um competent big man hurts us really on both sides of the floor and it's so so obvious even playing like a middling georgia team with a decent big man they just completely exposed us yeah and coach gates uh feels like 
it feels like in every press conference for the last five games or so after the game, he's talking about the free throw discrepancy. And it is frustrating when you, you know, when Georgia, Missouri shoots nine fewer threes than Georgia, doubles them up on two point attempts and doesn't get to the free throw line. Feels like game plan wise, you're kind of doing what you need to do to get into the paint and then therefore get to the free throw line. But you can no longer put it on the refs when it's a trend like this. And Missouri is one of the worst teams in the country at getting to the free throw line. You can't put it on the refs either. When I watch our um, undersized point guards drive into the lane and then stop in the middle lane and then like pick up their dribble and look around for someone to pass it to. How many times does that happen in a game where, you know, and Sean East is putting on an incredible season. He's, he's playing really well, but how often do we see you know the guards slash into the lane and then just pick up their dribble in the middle of the paint and don't know if they should shoot or pass or or whatever? It's just really frustrating and uh, very fragmented offense. Yeah, looking on Ken Palm at free throw rate, um, Missouri's 325th in the country this year in offensive free throw rate. That is noticeably worse from last year. Last year they were still not great, uh, 258, but... This is not necessarily like uh, Dennis Gates team. We know they're going to give up rebounds. They're not going to be a great rebounding team. They're going to try to force turnovers on defense. Stuff like that tracks across even going back to Cleveland State Dennis Gates teams. But free throw rate on offense, 45th, his first year at Cleveland State and his third year at Cleveland State. So this is not a scheme thing. This is a personnel thing, I think. 100%. I think it's personnel. And we've talked about their activity in the transfer portal and we just kind of have a black hole at the wing right now like john tanjay just uh, i mean he actually did play against kentucky but i was wondering if he was even alive um earlier this week because he just has not played at all and you know he's a thousand point scorer in last year so kind of wondering what's going on there it's just a weird question mark like swing and a miss portal edition caleb grill is injured i mean we just aren't getting anything at the wing and we don't really, I mean... We don't have a SEC caliber starter at the five spot. Not even close. Yeah. Yeah, it's like if Aiden Shaw was three inches taller, you know, even as rough around the edges as he is at times, I think he could be that. Yeah. But he's 6'8 and not completely developed. So you can't expect him to be holding down the five spot in the SEC already. Um, let's see anything else about this Georgia game. It was frustrating to see them battle back and then it just all unravels so quickly. Um, let's see here. Uh, Sean East did have a, a, a nice game against Georgia, 18 points, eight assists, zero turnovers, really solid from him against Kentucky. Uh, they fought hard and I, I think looked better than the final score says, both teams started out hot, but Kentucky was on another level, on fire. Uh, 35 points in the first 10 minutes of the game for Kentucky. Again, it's one of those things where it feels like we're saying this every game, where the opposing team is doing something that shouldn't be happening. It's like, okay, wow, they're really hot. They're going to cool off. And sometimes they don't. And it's like, wow, that's that's happening almost every game we play where the other team is just going on an unbelievable streak. There was no Anthony Robinson from Mizzou in this game. Uh, he was out with an illness. Um, 
And then Sean East, again, 19 points, but he got elbowed in the face in the second half, had to sit out for a little bit. Otherwise, I think he would have played 40 minutes. He looked like a pretty gnarly little uh, knot under his eye. Yeah, he was down for a, for a bit. I think if I was like reading his lips correctly, it almost... He was saying, like, I can't see, mm. like, when he was on the bench and yeah. stuff for a second. I mean, it was already swollen when he came back in the game. It looked like he was playing with one eye when he came back in late. Yeah. And, I mean, I'd love to know what happens if he doesn't have to exit the game there. But they, Missouri was was fighting, uh, just wasn't enough. Yeah, just pretty much held at arm's length, like, the whole game. Like, just yeah. kind of fighting in that, like, 8 to 10 point range, really, a lot of the game. And offensively... It wasn't that bad. I mean, East with 19, Carter with 20. I mean, he scored 77. Tamar Bates had 88, sorry, 18 points. But Kentucky scored 90. Yeah, it felt like Kentucky was scoring on like 70% of their possessions. Kentucky shot 64% on their two-point attempts. That's hard to beat. Um, talking about Sean East, though. It's, we're, you know, getting close to, are we halfway through the season now? Roughly, yeah. Um, somewhere around there. And Sean East is putting up 17.3 points per game and leading the Missouri Tigers in scoring. Now, it's not all sunshine uh, and rainbows, even though you have a 17-point score when you only have eight wins, when you're eight and seven on the season, as Missouri is. They're a triple-digit Kempom team now at 104, but... At least Sean East is giving us something to watch night in, night out. He's so crafty under the basket. Against Kentucky, he was getting a little bit of a mismatch on their freshman guards where he was posting them up, backing them down into the paint and getting them with fakes and up and under moves and stuff like that. And he's just been really fun to watch. He did shoot the ball 20 times against Georgia, which is something that we've been asking for a little bit more. Um... He just needs he needs that counterpart at the wing spot. He needs a forward who can yeah, who can hang with him and contribute the way he is. But um all this talk about Sean East, 17.3 points per game. I want to give you a little bit of a pop quiz. Can you guess when was the last time? Let's imagine Sean East sustains 17.3 points per game. Could you venture a guess when was the last time Missouri's leading scorer had at least 17.3 points per game? I've got a few of the close ones, and obviously I've got the last one that did that in front of me. So if you want to throw some names out. Oh, man. Um, I know this is going to be one of those things where it's probably like really obvious and I can't think of it. But Let me give you one little hint. Last year, he, he's already better than... Last year's Kobe Brown, 15.8 points per game. I was going to say Des Moines and, and Kobe were probably both around that, like, 14, 15 range. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but they kind of, like, cannibalized each other's, like, stats, exactly. which was fine. But, uh, man, let's see. Um, it's tough to imagine very many players in the Conzo era, like, having those kind of individual performances, especially in those low-scoring games. Mm-hmm. That first year, like, uh, Cassius Robertson and like Jordan Barnett both were really good, but I don't think either one of them would have averaged that that many points for Ca- the whole season. Cassius Robertson, 16.3 points per game. He did lead the 2018 team. Um, let's see. I know Xavier Pinson had some pretty impressive games, but maybe not for a complete season. The 
the other ones in the Conzo era, you're talking Drew Smith was uh, back-to-back points-per-game leader around 14 or so. Jordan Geist in 2019, 14.8 points per game. Jordan Geist, yeah, yeah. He had like a sneaky, really good year. Oh, I got to fill in some holes here. Do you here. think anybody in the Kim Anderson era is putting up those kind of numbers? I doubt it. Who, do you remember who was leading scorer two years of the Kim Anderson era? It was very unfortunate that he was the leading scorer. Like Jonathan Williams? J3 was the leading scorer Kim Anderson's first year. Like, was that 2015 or something? Yeah, and he was, he was. I didn't even write this one down, but it was like 12 points per game or something. Yeah. Kevin per year was the leading scorer two of Kim Anderson's three seasons at wow. around 11 points per game. I mean, yeah, we might be looking at what, like Damari Carroll? Like 08, 09 range? two guys bef- uh, since then. The 2014 season, this is one of the leading scorers in recent Mizzou history, Jabari Brown. Yeah. 19.9 points per game. Yeah, I definitely skipped over a little like uh, Frank Haith era there, didn't I? Um, yeah, probably Marcus Denman in 2012. and 17.7 points per game. And uh, yeah, Jabari Brown, incredible season. Yeah, but that's the just to point out, that's the kind of game Sean East is playing right now. 17.3 points per game. Marcus Denman right there, 17.7. But what an insane year. Jabari Brown, almost 20 points per game, basically 20 points per game. I'm pretty sure that... That was a wild season, actually. Like yeah. Jordan Clarkson and Jabari Brown, like yeah. two NBA quality players, and we didn't even make the tournament. Yeah, that was the NIT year, I believe. Jeez. So, uh, shout out to Sean East for giving us something to tune into. It's still not a terrible team, but man, the SEC is so good this year. Yeah, it really isn't like a, well, defensively, pretty terrible. What are we in Kimpom? I mean, it feels like we should be sub 200. I know we're not, but. 141. It's just really, really brutal, like how bad our defense is and rebounding. Yeah. Um, But this week we've got, in my mind, another opportunity to split. Uh, two games we have we're hosting South Carolina and then travel to Tuscaloosa to take on Alabama South Carolina and second year coach Lamont Paris they have already won more games this year than they did all of last season they're 13 and 2 had a nice win over Mississippi State to start conference play but just got blown out by Alabama 74 to 47 they've got a, a a star in uh, guard, Michi Johnson. Um, he's averaging 18 points per game this year. He led the way against Mississippi State with 24 points. And they also have Wofford transfer B.J. Mack is their best interior scorer. Get this, he is 6'8", 270. 13 points per game, but only shooting 42% from the field. So not the most efficient player, a little bit undersized for the five spot, height-wise at least. Yeah. Um, so an opportunity there, South Carolina, not world beaters. They Much are improved over last year. Definitely. But they are sort of in this range of teams that Missouri needs to be competitive with to be, have a respectable conference record. Yeah. But we just lost to one of those teams in Georgia. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, this seems like one of the more winnable games on the schedule, uh, if we're playing at home. So... I said this about Georgia, but it's really got to be a game you you just have to win it. Yeah, yeah. And at this point, like 
Missouri is going to have to do something I don't think they're capable of doing like over the rec- over the rest of the season to be able to even be in bubble uh, contention. So probably going to have to do have multiple road upsets yes. basically, uh, or like win the rest of your home games or something yeah, insane like it's, that. It's unfortunate that it's this early in the conference season and it already feels like it's kind of a lost cause for for postseason play. Yeah, this it'll be interesting to see as the season unfolds further how and we've seen this from other teams in the sec but like when you're just reloading every year out of the transfer portal the hit rate the i mean the miss rate is going to be significant i mm-hmm. feel like i mean that's kind of like what we talked about with kentucky with all their one and dones yeah where you're going to miss on a group and yeah. if you're bringing in four transfers six transfers that all are going to be like competing for starter minutes you're just going to miss some of the time it still feels like it should be a significantly better hit rate than high school players and it is but yeah it does seem weird to and i just don't know what's going on with john tanjay but uh yeah i i just don't you know it's a long sec season and we're getting caleb grill back but man i i really think dennis gates is maximizing this group already yeah and they're not very good and so talent wise i just don't think they have the personnel to hang in night in and night out Yes, unfortunately, uh, I've already started thinking about a, a potential transfer five that we're going to need to bring in next year. Oh, 100%. We can't keep missing on a impact transfer big. Uh, moving on to Alabama, though, they are 10-5, and five, but that record is a bit misleading. Um, all five of their losses have come against teams in the Kimpom top 35. Ohio State is 34th. They lost to them on a neutral floor. Also, all five of those losses are to top 25 offenses, and they allowed 88 points per game in those losses. So Alabama had a gauntlet of a season so far. They played Purdue. They played Arizona. Lost to both of them. So it is interesting that their best win on the season, I mean, they blew out Liberty. They won a close game against Oregon, who's 49th in Kempom. So they're scheduling heavy. They're scheduling a lot of heavy hitters, but have lost most of those marquee matchups so far. Yeah. yeah. But they are the number one team in uh, Kempom offense. Wow. Yeah, Mark Sears, definitely one of the best players in the country, might be the best player in the SEC. Um, I don't think it's possible that they could be as good as they were last year, losing the talent they did. And um, obviously, Quinterly kind of interestingly going to Memphis, and he's having a great season at Memphis. But... Uh, Alabama is still very solid, and playing on the road is going to be super difficult. Um, that number one offense versus Mizzou's defense. Yikes. That's a matchup. Yeah. Um, Alabama has scored 98 or 98 points points or more seven times this year. Jeez. Well, they're going to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, they started the season scoring 105, 102, 102, 98. Wow. As much as I do not like Nate Oates, like he seems like – I don't know, kind of a interesting guy, <laughs> but uh, so maybe a suspect character. But um, he uh, he can he can coach some basketball. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Mark Sears. Obviously, he's kind of emerged out of the shadow from Brandon Miller and Javon Quinterly last year. He was kind of playing second fiddle to those guys, but he is one of the best players in the country. Uh, it does look like Alabama is probably going to be without forward. Mohamed Wagi, 
who was injured. So that's a front court player that they'll probably be missing. That helps Missouri a little bit. But they still have 6'11 senior uh, Grant Nelson, who transferred from South Dakota State. North Dakota State? It's one of those. So, um, yeah, they're just really good. And I think the way that they get up and down the floor, I feel like Missouri will like that a little bit. And maybe an opportunity for Missouri's offense to score they'll a little think, bit. They'll think they like it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Got <laughs> uh, to be like 105 to 85. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sean East, go get your 20 points. And then we'll move on. And we will move on to football. And we're going to talk coaching contracts a little bit here. Coach Drinkwitz got a contract extension, added one year to his contract, now goes through 2028, raises his pay to $9 million a year for the next two years. Some serious money. Goes up to 9.25 the third year and $9.5 million for the final year on his contract. Um, I was looking at other SEC coaching contracts. The only coaches making more than nine million a year nick saban brian kelly kirby smart so drinks right in there with like josh heupel and lane kiffin do you have any footnotes you want to add about nick saban nick saban uh retiring yeah everybody knows this by the time they're hearing this (laughs) but we just heard about it earlier today that is a bit of a shake-up on the college football landscape although i did say uh, Nick, I said Nick Saban win the national championship and retire. That you did like three weeks ago. So, so you were half, half right. Of, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm still, I'm still really hoping, um, Kirby Smart to the New England Patriots. Ooh, just get rid of Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. Yeah, the same off season. That's fine. And then the SEC runs through Columbia, Missouri. Absolutely. Um. Along with Drink's extension, Kirby Moore got a raise from $850,000 this past season to $1.2 million next year, $1.3 million in 2025. That's what happens when you win 11 games. I saw, um, this is totally, this is not totally random, but uh, his bro- I saw his brother, Kellen Moore, mm-hmm. who was the OC for the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. Mm-hmm. I saw he was going to get an interview as their head coach. Mm-hmm. No chance, right? Don't do this. No chance, <laughs> right? I said no chance last week about something else we're about to talk about. Okay, we don't have to go there. That would That's a long shot. But yeah. What would you say, like 80% that uh, Kirby Moore stays? <laughs> yeah, maybe like 80%. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're bearing the lead a little bit here. Um, Missouri defensive coordinator Blake Baker signed an extension. And he tweeted the Wolf of Wall Street. I'm not leaving video. Yeah, he did. And it was really cool at the time. He was going to be paid a top, he's going to be a top five paid coordinator in the country, but has left Missouri to take the defensive coordinator, parentheses, lateral move, take the defensive coordinator job at LSU. I, okay, this is something I had completely prepared myself for, like at the end of the year. Yeah. At the end of the season. Yeah, me too, honestly. Missouri goes 10 and 2, obviously 11 and 2 eventually, but after the regular season, they go 10 and 2. They have a great defense for two years in a row. I mean, Blake Baker comes in, revitalizes the defense. They're, they're borderline elite. You could probably say they're elite. Both of the seasons he's here, 
uh, coordinators do not stick around whenever they're that successful, no matter where you are. It yeah. doesn't matter if you're Missouri, Alabama, whatever. Those coordinators get poached. They go be head coaches somewhere, and that's the end of it. And if that's what was going to happen, I was totally prepared for that in my mind, emotionally, and it would have made a lot of sense. Yeah, it feels like we were ready to talk about Blake Baker, head coach at Tulane. Exactly. That would have made all the sense in the world. It would have been like, sucks to lose him, but I get it. And this doesn't have that same feeling for me. No. Uh, this is a little bit this is a little bit harder to watch, considering um, it does feel like he probably could have had a head coaching job, and um, but it also made a lot of sense for him to come back and, and run it back one more time with Mizzou. So um, seeing him go work for Brian Kelly, who uh, formerly, who, who fired him yeah. in the past, yeah. Uh, go get another shot with with LSU. It's it's disappointing. Yeah, yeah. For those that don't know, Blake Baker was on staff at LSU when Brian Kelly came in, and Brian Kelly chose not to retain him at that time. So I don't know. I mean, it, what it tells me is Blake Baker not cut out for the wilderness. You know. The Missouri Tigers are a team forged in the wilderness. That's exactly right. Not one of these blue blood programs like LSU. The wilderness forged doesn't lie. The weak will be exposed exactly. eventually, and exactly. that's what happened. And now, and now LSU is paying their defensive, their new defensive coordinator more than any other assistant college football coach in the entire world. And they had to pay Missouri $950,000 to buy him out. Reeks of desperation on LSU's part, if I'm being honest. And whenever LSU played at Missouri this season, they scored like 50 points. Yeah. You score 50 points on a guy, and you're like, hey, <laughs> we want you to run our defense. <laughs> scored 50 on a guy. 50 balled him. Yeah. Like, hey, yeah, come on over. You know, we were... That was impressive. We, were, we had to overlook that as Mizzou fans. We were like, oh, Blake... Yeah, what happened there? 50. It's okay. Well, you know, we forgive. Forgive and forget. Wilderness Forge. We're in the wilderness together, Blake. Not we're, anymore. We're Mizzou fans. We're born in the wilderness. Uh, he, thinks he's, he thinks he's too good for the wilderness, I think. Clearly. Yeah. But he's going back home. Can't necessarily blame him too much. Okay, well, let me ask you this, Cameron. Yeah. If he wants to be a head coach, which he probably will be in a season or two, is he just going to have to move again? Unless he thinks he's taking the LSU job whenever Brian Kelly goes to Michigan and whenever now what would Harbaugh there? goes to the NFL. Okay, yeah. And now with the Alabama job opening up, like... Oh, you think Blake Baker's going there now? <laughs> he's just going to take over the world while he's at it? I'm just saying, the coaching carousel, far from over. Right. We do not know what's going to happen with Jim Harbaugh. It's true. What would happen, though, I guess Brian Kelly would probably just take his whole staff to Michigan, but then congratulations, you went home to your home state of Louisiana, and now you got to pack up and go north to yeah, Michigan. Yeah, there goes that excuse. Yeah. I but we're clearly emotional. Yes, and you know who is handling this all much better than us? Coach Drinkwitz. At least publicly. Yes, exactly. Uh, in, all serious, though, in all seriousness, though, I love uh, all the public communication from coach drink related to this and just like i don't remember what it was like a coaching conference basically where coach drinkwitz was speaking he was doing a ted talk basically yeah which love to see it honestly he's a natural speaker clearly but uh he was up there talking about how 
this was the most fun he's had coaching this season. He was able to just love the players and love the coaches. And honest, I, I can't recreate it with the sort of sincerity and wholesomeness that he injected into the speech. But I don't know. I liked hearing it. And it, it well, he's was specific. the most endearing thing I think we've heard Coach say Yeah, probably. Ever. Yeah, exactly. And he specifically brought up Coach Baker leaving, though. And he said, that's one of my best friends. He's a brother to me. And it hurt me really bad, personally, on, yeah. a, on a personal level. Uh, but, you know... I got over it, and I realized that's you know he has that right and whatever. So and he said took uh, the high took the uh, the high I'm, road. I'm going to go find another defensive coordinator, and I'm going to love him just as much. And that's what that's what you have to do if they uh, if they're good. Yeah, I bet he will. If it's a l- really easy to love everybody when you win 11 <laughs> games when you beat Ohio State in a in a bowl game. Well, which came first, the love or the wins? We'll never know. You know what? Get, I'm going to give Coach Drinkwitz credit here. Absolutely, the love is what created the wins. That's that secret ingredient. That's exactly right. So now uh, Missouri football team is looking for a new defensive coordinator. So there's names flying everywhere. Um, we'll name a few guys here and maybe give our preference and maybe a prediction. No point in doing a prediction. We don't know anything. We'll give preference, though. First name on my list is currently employed with the University of Missouri. That's DJ Smith, current co-defensive coordinator and linebackers coach. Came to Mizzou with Drinkwitz from Appalachian State. Right. Yeah, we don't, I mean, we obviously don't know what those relationships look like internally, but, you know, I, I definitely think this is a pretty strong possibility that they could end up just promoting Smith internally. Um, the thing is, they uh, accounted for $2 million going to Blake Baker. Mm-hmm. And so they've kind of got some money that they could throw around if they wanted to do that. Um, but also, you've got this very talented defense that's played together, and why come in and, and mess everything up? You know, why bringing in an, another candidate from externally? So it will be very interesting to see. Like, like we have the money, but also we kind of have this good situation that we might want to keep together. There's another aspect of that specifically, though, and I feel like Kevin Peoples is a factor in this. Not that he would necessarily be named defensive coordinator, although maybe. There's a co-defensive coordinator yeah. promotion, you know, on the table potentially for him to right. keep him at Mizzou because there's there's uh, rumblings and rumors about him leaving town to go to LSU with Baker. Yeah, Baker is is gun informed for sure, but uh, that would definitely be a unique situation, but one that seems like it would make sense in this situation. It's kind of a co-defensive coordinator situation. Yeah, um, Kevin Peoples does have many more years in the business and he's never been a defensive coordinator before uh coach smith is relatively young as far as uh coaches go and um has has never called plays defensively or anything like that that you might want out of a defensive coordinator but they're already there in-house you'd i don't know i think you'd hate to lose either one of those guys if a new defensive coordinator wants to bring uh assistance of position coaches of his own right so yeah i think that's absolutely the risk you take if you if you go out and spend two million dollars on a defensive coordinator, is they're gonna they're gonna want to start from scratch, probably staff wise and also uh, scheme. Yeah, it's a little worrisome. I don't know. I'm not. I, I feel like we're supposed to run it back. I know. Yeah, that's the thing that's like <laughs> you know in the back of my mind. But I feel like you mentioned the money that we have to spend on a defensive coordinator. I've got trust in Coach Drink to make it happen and. 
Um, you know, people were like this past year, Missouri was 33rd in um, defense, total defense. So, you know, there's room for improvement there. Yeah, like all of that came against LSU. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, a Did few Blake names. Baker throw the LSU game? Okay. I, I've been, I saw that thrown around on Twitter. Wow. Now that's quite an accusation. I didn't make the accusation. No, I no, just no. asked you. No, I would say probably no, he didn't. Okay, I'll agree with you. <laughs> that was a joke, by the way. <laughs> um, I'm going to get sued. Yeah. Blake Baker's going to sue you for, sue us for defamation. defamation. <laughs> All right. So some other names that we've seen thrown out around uh, the defensive coordinator job. Uh, first one I'll say is. S, current SMU defensive coordinator Scott Simons uh, graduated from Lindenwood in St. Charles, Missouri, coached at Arkansas State with Drinkwitz back in 2013. That's a name to keep in mind. Um, has experience as a defensive coordinator. He's had some good defenses at SMU. Um, I would say maybe not a splash hire or you know high-profile guy, but there is a connection there. Um, another name I've seen thrown out that I'm, I'm just gonna, you know, kind of distance myself from this idea a little bit is Jimmy Rogers, current head coach at South Dakota state back-to-back FCS national champion. But I don't know. I feel like the road to SEC defensive coordinator from FCS head coach, even champion head coach. there's there's a stop in between maybe two it's an interesting jump for sure um and i feel like a lot of times you know obviously these coaching jobs are relationships and i think that would be an an interesting reach for sure yeah yeah nothing uh no connection there built in as well um another name jim leonard this seems like a, a long shot former wisconsin defensive defensive coordinator his name is swirling around all different types of jobs, NFL jobs, uh, Colorado defensive coordinator. He's been reports that he's linked to that job recently. So uh, somebody to look into, but probably not going to happen. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, is Colorado one of our bigger competitors is for going for a defensive coordinator right now? Yeah, potentially. I mean, Missouri's got to be one of maybe the biggest player in the, on the market right now looking for a defensive coordinator. Yeah, Again, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Michigan and Alabama. Yeah, that's true. Obviously, they could jump in and be the biggest fish by far. Yeah, that's going to change potentially. Um, Speaking of Michigan, though, if things do blow up there, um, their defensive coordinator, Jesse Mentor, would be a guy you could just throw a bunch of money at and see if he wants to come down to Columbia, especially if there's, you know investigations or anything like that happening in michigan there might be some guys that want to jump ship yeah i don't know what he's making now but i can i would imagine missouri could pay him more than he's making currently which is kind of wild um is there any name i got a few more here but is there anybody uh, that you like in particular or want to mention um not really um i feel like at this point in the process like man coordinators are tough like it's just really really tough to project like what's going to work and what's not going to work and I think right now I'm kind of just taking it all in and until we can get like a little bit farther down the funnel. And yeah. I don't know. It's like, are we going to hear anything before this hire is official? Or are we just one day it's going to be like, okay, and yeah, hire is official? I feel like that's what's going to happen. Yeah. There's going to be rumors, obviously, but it's just going to kind of come out of nowhere probably. Yeah. Um, I'll give you just a couple more names here. Um, 
Greg Gasparato, uh, Tulane defensive coordinator, but has never hasn't coached there yet. Just became the new Tulane defensive coordinator. Was the Troy defensive coordinator. Was on Drink's staff at Appalachian State in his one year there. Troy put up some good numbers defensively with him yeah. at the helm. Definitely, I think Gasparato is one that that makes a lot of sense. It has he has a personal connection with Drinkwitz. They've coached together before. Troy was was had a good defense and but yeah I just reiterated everything you said and that Tulane 100 percent that would be really tough to just go snipe him from yeah from Tulane but obviously we just saw that that does happen yeah in coaching okay let me give you a name that I like that I'm gonna try to sell you as this guy should be the next Missouri defensive coordinator okay and that is Chris Marv I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right he is currently the defensive coordinator at Virginia Tech. So we got Power 5 defensive coordinator experience. He's originally from Texas, played linebacker at Vanderbilt, was an assistant coach at Vanderbilt, at Mississippi State, and Florida State position coach before taking over as defensive coordinator at Virginia Tech. He's only making only $825,000, so you could give him a raise, and Virginia Tech was 20th in total defense this past season, 13 spots better than Mizzou. I feel like if you're trying to, I don't know about his scheme and how that fits and all that kind of stuff, but I feel like if you're trying to replicate Blake Baker's resume on paper, someone like Virginia Tech defensive coordinator who's worked his way up through the ranks played in the SEC, has been a position coach in the SEC. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm... You on board? I'm bored. Hey, that sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I think um, you you want somebody who's who's had that kind of experience and has proven that they can do it at the Power 5 level. Obviously, the ACC is not as intense of a league, but, um, you know, he has the track record. That's That's impressive. I wrote, now this is how it usually goes. I wrote on a name here, no notes at all, other than TCU defensive coordinator, <laughs> Andy Avalos. I think they just hired him, right? Oh, yeah. I think he... So that'd be another situation where you're hiring, yeah. you're taking the guy that just accepted a job. Yeah, I mean, obviously he would be an incredible candidate, but I think that's probably one of the more long shots that we've talked about. Mm. I was trying to do the thing where we just say a guy's name and then he becomes the coach well that's what we did with coach drink exactly. like five years ago exactly all right so that's the uh that's the defensive co- coordinator coaching carousel situation yeah. as of right now yeah I, I it's really tough to know what like what i even want to happen like i think i would honestly feel comfortable i don't know if comfortable is good but i think i would feel comfortable if they promoted from within yeah. and just said let's just retain what we have and yeah. maybe next year we're looking at something else. I don't know. Maybe. But maybe that's that's kind of that's you're setting yourself up for a weird situation in a year potentially though if the defense stays good. Give me Michigan defensive coordinator. That's like a long shot obviously. Yeah. That'd be a dream candidate. For sure. Then give me Virginia Tech defensive coordinator. Then give me DJ Smith. Yeah. And top, not, that's my top 3. And it's not like this Mizzou defense was is this untouchable thing and that you know we are still we are le- we are losing quite a few guys to the NFL, um, so you know maybe having a bringing guy come in transfers in, that are going to start that yep. are going to have to figure out the new, a new scheme yeah. anyway. So obviously bringing in an accomplished defensive coordinator to start from scratch might just end up being the best thing possible. 
we will see a lot to unfold there yet. Um, then lastly, we will just catch up on some recruiting notes from the football team. Um, Trajan Greco, who signed his name on the dotted line on signing day, but kept his commitment secret, but the image got leaked or <laughs> they sent out the wrong image with his name on it. So it was kind of, uh, spoiled the surprise there, but he did officially commit to Mizzou at the, uh, all American game. So that's the final commit of that class. Um, in the transfer portal, uh, Nick, how do you pronounce his last name? Scorton? Yeah. <laughs> uh, did not end up visiting Mizzou. The Purdue transfer just committed to A&M right after his visit there. And Troy offensive lineman Derek Graham, who we mentioned previously, also committed to A&M. Um, and take it away. Anybody else that uh, we should keep an eye on visiting or anything like that? Yeah, so there's one guy that uh, Mizzou is pretty hot and heavy with, and that's Zion Young. He is a defensive end transfer from Michigan State. And uh, Missouri goes pretty far back with Young. He took an, an official visit to Missouri when he was in high school in 2021. Um, and then uh, he has already visited Missouri and Florida State um, since announcing that he was going to transfer from Michigan State. So uh, I visited as a high schooler and visited uh, after his sophomore year of college, and uh, but you know I think Florida State wants him pretty bad too, so it should be it should be a, a pretty big battle between Missouri and Florida State. But uh, last year he had 26 tackles, four and a half tackles for loss, and one and a half sacks. So as a sophomore, so he'd probably have uh, two or three years of eligibility and. You know, but Missouri, or we're going to talk about a couple guys here in a second, but Missouri's done pretty well at recruiting defensive linemen in the transfer portal. So um, I don't know if Zion Young will will see that um, as a negative thing or if Missouri feels like they're done. Probably not, but um, definitely a name to watch. Uh, go ahead with the commits. I feel like I'm about to cough. Yeah. Uh, so Missouri landed uh, two defensive linemen. Uh, one of them is Isaiah Hastings. He uh, was formerly at Alabama, played two seasons at Alabama um, before Nick Saban retired. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's 6'4", 300, uh, probably will play defensive end, but he is pretty versatile and is big enough to play tackle if that's where they feel like he's most fit. But he was uh, top 250 recruit in 2022, didn't play much at Alabama, but um, absolutely has plenty of time and talent to, to be a contributor at Missouri. Yeah, three years of eligibility. Love that. Yeah. Uh, and then the other guy is Sterling Webb, and he is transferring. He's another defensive lineman, more in the defensive tackle uh, mold, but he's transferring from New Mexico State. He had a pretty productive season last year, 30 tackles and four and a half sacks, and he's 6'2", 300. So um, two quality guys. Originally from St. Louis. Yes, that's yeah. true. Two quality guys that I think will contribute immediately, most likely. In some capacity. Yeah. And then... Both uh, of those guys have three years of eligibility. Love that. Uh, then Missouri also got a commitment from transfer running back, who we mentioned last week, Nate Noel from Appalachian State, originally from Miami, Florida. He's listed at 5'10", 185, over 3,000 career yards already, and yeah. 18 touchdowns in his time at App State. Yeah, he had a like, really uh, solid career, played a lot over his three or four seasons there. Um, I think he's a really good compliment to Marcus Carroll. Carroll's kind of the the bigger back, um, but Nate Noel's kind of a kind of the speed guy, getting open space type of player. So it might be a nice little uh, one-two punch there. 
just to talk about the running backs for one second. So Carroll, Noel, two transfers coming in. Then you've got Tavoris Jones and Jamal Roberts on the roster, right. under, underclassmen that I know obviously fans, including myself, want to see what they can contribute. For sure. Do you feel like with those four, you could kind of just have open competition for the top two guys? Yeah, I think so. Um, at this point, we're still early in the offseason, yeah. and I wouldn't be really surprised at this point to see like Tavoris Jones transfer or something, which is totally speculation. But Shouldn't be surprised to see anybody transfer. Exactly. At this point, he's been in the program for, for two or three seasons. He came in pretty heralded in the recruiting scene, but just hasn't really played at all. So um, it seems like that dream might be dead at this point. But Well, you have um, the SEC's leading rusher ahead of you. That's true. That's hard to complain too much. That's very true. He still might have an opportunity, but I see Jamal Roberts as definitely a guy that that will compete and and could end up uh, playing quite a bit this upcoming season. Do you maybe Carroll is like the easy answer? But of those four, who do you think is most likely to be top five in the SEC in rushing in a single season before their career is over? Before their career is over? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, not necessarily next year. Yeah, but. give me Jamal Roberts. I think he's still okay. probably the most talented of those four. Nice, yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know that I see uh, really Noel or Carroll necessarily as like individually as like that kind of level performer, but as a unit could be really solid. Uh, it does. It is true, though, that we, did, we wouldn't have been able to say the same thing about um, Cody Schrader. Yes. This time last year. That's <laughs> absolutely true. So yeah, it's exciting to see what they'll be able to do um okay that i think catches us up on portal and coaching news and everything like that so i guess we're probably will muschamp to alabama will muschamp um i actually did see his name as like a long shot for the mizzou defensive coordinator oh yeah what's his current job he is the co-defensive coordinator at georgia with someone else who i don't know he played at georgia did he yeah and his son is on the team. Oh, really? So I feel like he's not going anywhere. He's locked. Yeah, locked into Georgia. But they want Will, to... Will Muschamp, head coach at Alabama. I saw that as just like a tweet, yeah. uh, just like a joke. Yeah, it would be incredible. I, I don't know if it's a joke, actually. I think it was somebody genuinely sharing that idea. They probably should tell people that it was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> no offense if you tweeted that, <laughs> if you're listening to this. Good joke. Uh, we done here? Yeah. All right. Producer Cameron, we didn't get to see you very much this episode. No, no more SEC pick. We're, gonna, we're not going to see Producer Cameron until next season. We're going to have to <laughs> work him into the show more organically somehow. <laughs> I'll brainstorm that. Um, special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $10 level and above. Britt Treese, Brian Smith, Ryan Demore, Tristan, Ben Smith, Parker, Daddy JD, Tim Keens, Tyler Harsel, Brandon Groffalo, Brandon Hanks, Matthew Tilly, Lewis Hernandez, and Joshua Jacobson. Thank you. Thank you very much, gentlemen. We love you. And shout out producer Cameron for killing it always back there. And you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We're on Twitter at Missouri Sports Pod. And you can email us at Missouri Sports Pod at gmail.com. You can find our t shirts and stickers on our online shop, Missouri Sports Pod.bigcartel.com. Is that a Stanley? Oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> yes. You're a Stanley person. Oh, wow. let's go. Wow. Let's go. You are Stanley. I'm chosen by God. But you don't have the tumbler. I don't know what kind of bottle That's that true. is. I don't either. So. I got it as a Christmas gift like two years ago. You're fraudulent, Stanley. That's fine. See you next week. I hope I am. <laughs>